was Columbia. Cambodia. Port-au-Prince, Haiti to Haiti Teen Challenge. The Samaritan's Purse in Louisiana. The Philippines in 1985 until 2000. Winston County, Mississippi. I went to the Philippines. Children of the Promise in Haiti. Portland, Oregon. I want to be a part of the Haiti Teen Challenge Men's and Women's Graduation Ceremony. I simply love serving on mission trips. I wanted God to stretch me um, doing something that maybe I wasn't comfortable with and serving other people. I always had a curiosity about missions and started to feel that God was calling me to go on one. So I started to pray about it. And then one morning I prayed about it again. And the verse, um, John 16, 17, just leapt off the page. And I felt that was God's answer to me. I think God kind of tricked me into going. I had a dream one night where I woke myself up screaming, God, I want my life to count for something. And I knew right then and there that I couldn't stay here because I was invited by Frederick Gusky to check out a new ministry our church had the opportunity to partner with. I wanted to go on this trip because I wanted to push myself in my faith, but it also felt like the perfect place for a first missions trip for a kid my age. Because I had wanted to go on a mission trip and help others for a long time, and when this opportunity came up, it just seemed to fit really right in. I was asked by a friend from church. Initially, I didn't have any interest in going. I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I started praying about it, and eventually... I had a strong sense that God wanted me to go. Um, this trip impacted my life in so many ways by showing me how it is people become homeless. It taught me to become more intentional with people when talking about God. And it showed me that you need to always give people love no matter what or where they come from because you never know what it is that someone may be going through. Given me fresh eyes and perspective of what God's doing in the global church, new urgency as far as getting the word out and how I can be a part of it, whether it be by prayer, um, financially, or actually going there. Because it's been 2020 years, there's still people in the world that have yet to hear Jesus' name. We're sitting here waiting for his second coming, and some people don't even know of his first. And just knowing that uh, makes me want to be a part of it so that I can um, be a part of what God's doing. And I was so blessed by the people of Cambodia. They had such joy and, and love for the Lord despite the circumstances in which they lived. All the things opposite of what we're used to here, the security and safety and comfort, I had to let all of that go. So that itself challenged me and changed me and gave me a different perspective. It's just incredible to see what God is doing around the world. I went down there uh, thinking that I had something to bring. I don't know, but they invited me, so I went. And in fact, I was the one that brought everything home because it was just a phenomenal experience. It made me very thankful for the things that I have that I take for granted. Stepping out on a mission to share God's love has lit a fire in me and has kept me yearning to serve not just internationally, but locally and right in my own home. That is just a small sampling of the people from this church who have gone on mission trips, and the stories of all of them come back being very much the same. We're talking this week of Give of Yourselves. It's uh, the fourth of seven in the Seven Command Series. If you don't have one of these booklets yet, you can get one on the door on your way out there, there at the back table. Going on a mission trip is a great way to give of yourself. 
And it's also a great example of what it is that God does when we open ourselves and we're willing to give a little bit of our time and a little bit of ourselves. Because the, the amazing thing is, every one of those folks that was there and, and, and the, all of you who have been on a mission trip, you'd say the same thing, that you went out of your comfort zone, you went to a place you didn't know, you went to see people you weren't sure of. But on the way home, you realized you received far more than anything you brought or anything you were able to give. And God works that way. When we're willing to be generous and give of ourselves, God has a way of making sure that we get so much more in return. So let's talk about giving. Christmas is the season of giving. You've already thought about it. You've already thought about who you're going to give to, what you're going to give, how much money you're going to set aside. But let's be honest, the world has got some really, really goofy ideas about giving. If we take our understanding of giving from the world, we're going to be in trouble. So as Christians, we need to have a better understanding. We need to have a better understanding, which isn't always easy because it goes against what the world teaches us. We need to understand what giving really is because we've got the very best example of giving that's ever been shown to the world. The best example is Jesus, and we're the recipients of the greatest gift that's ever given. As a Christian, we have experienced the generosity of God on a very personal level. And yet as a Christian, while we realize that all that we have is from him, we still have a hard time with the idea of giving generously. So this Christian, this Christmas season, let, let's... Let's set aside some time and see if we can't have a more God-centered understanding of what giving is. In Minnesota lately, uh, we've heard a lot about giving, haven't we? We've heard a lot about giving. And the way that you've heard it most recently is what you have to give up. Like, for example, this past week, you were told to give up time with friends and family and give up the most traveled holiday of the year only to turn around and the next day be invited to spend all kinds of money in all kinds of stores buying presents for the very people that you were told to give up spending your time with. That's craziness. If you're going to take your understanding of giving from the world, you're in trouble. And yet when we talk about giving in church, nobody likes it. It's a tough topic. We don't want to hear about it. And so Jesus, in Luke 6.38, he had something to say about giving. He says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does that even mean? A measure just means an amount. The amount that you use, the amount that you give, will be poured back to you. We don't do something nice to get something in return. But when we understand giving the way that Jesus does, that's what seems to happen. The generosity with which we give is the generosity with which we're going to receive because we're going to see the world a different way. Last week I said something about these commands of Jesus, and I want to remind you of that. They're not have-tos. They're not must-dos. These commands of Jesus, they're invitations to a closer relationship with him. They're an invitation to living a transformed life through him. And that transformation begins when we accept God's gift to us in Jesus. And then we go on to what the Bible talks about as the renewing of our minds. And that's the changing of our thinking. And, and so I'm going to put out to you today, maybe your idea of giving needs to be adjusted a little. Maybe it needs to be brought back closer to what God is really talking about. 
Because if you're afraid of running out, if you're afraid of not having enough, if you're afraid of going hungry, or if, or if you're afraid of, of Walmart running out of toilet paper, it's all you're going to see. Scarcity. Maybe, maybe one day you get there and the shelves are empty. The only thing you're going to see and hear about is how nobody's got any toilet paper anymore. See, what, what the Bible's really talking about is the way that we expect to see the world, what we put in is, is kind of the way that we're going to see the world come back. If scarcity is what you are concerned about, scarcity is all you're going to see. However, if you recognize blessing and abundance, you're going to be generously blessed because that's what you're looking for. It's really a pretty simple principle. So this morning, I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge your thinking from what the world teaches us and what we think is the right attitude about giving. And I want to start thinking about giving from Jesus' perspective. And in Jesus' perspective, giving had nothing to do with stuff. We get so worried about stuff, specifically our money. When we talk about giving, if it's got anything to do with money and it's got anything to do with church, we just have this immediate stop. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Giving had everything to do with the condition of your heart. In Jesus' mind, giving was all about the condition of people's hearts. And so today, giving and how we feel about it is still a condition of our hearts. And so right now, maybe some of you, your hearts are beating faster because you don't want to talk about giving. Giving is a condition of our heart, and Jesus recognized that. Giving of ourselves, of what is most dear to us, is not a must-do. It's not a have-to. It's not a requirement. It's a get-to. Yes, Scripture expects that of us. Because God realizes that he's given the wealth of heaven to all of us. So yes, it isn't just giving that God is asking for. God is asking us to be generous in our giving because God is generous with us. So if we look at the best example of giving, let's look at Jesus. Jesus is absolutely the best example of generosity of all time. Jesus was generous with his time. Jesus was generous with his grace, with his mercy. Jesus was generous with his love. Jesus was generosity of self absolutely defined. Jesus often, the Bible talks about how Jesus would go away and he'd go to a quiet place to pray because his life had to have been exhausting. It had to have been so tiring to have people following him all the time. He didn't get a moment alone. And the Bible would say that he would go to a quiet place to pray and almost always it recorded right after that that people gathered and were there with him. And yet, Jesus didn't tell people, hey, today's my quiet day. Today I got nothing to give. Today you're on your own. Jesus was generous with his time. He was generous with himself. In fact, the Bible says that God poured himself out to us through Jesus. So if Jesus' life is the standard for giving, what in the world do we even have to give? If you take Jesus as the standard of giving, I'm not sure that I've got a whole lot that anybody needs. So we've got money, of course, and what we do, what happens in the churches, if someone talks about giving money, we draw the line right there. That's too far, and we go, eh, nope. And the ears shut down, and the phones come out, and we find something else to think about. But Jesus didn't just talk about generosity of money, no. There's a lot of other things if we look to Jesus as the standard of our generosity. What about kind words? What about the generosity of kind word? What about like Jesus did, the generosity of your attention? Just sitting down and listening to someone. Not fixing their problems, not talking back, just listening. What about friendships or faith 
or simple acts of kindness and service? What about generosity of your talents and your gifts and your abilities? Not everybody in the world can do what you do or know what you know. What about the possessions that you have that other people would be happy just to be able to take part and to use and enjoy? What about the wisdom that you have gained from your life experiences, good and bad, that you can give to others? Maybe through your wisdom and through your mistakes, you can help someone else avoid the same thing. See, the point is, you're full of things. You're full of things. Most of which are different than what the people around you have. And all of those are things that if you're willing to, you can give to others. You can share with the people around you. So on, subject, on the subject of giving, right, since this is a tough one and we don't like to think about it, we don't like to talk about it, let's start where we can agree, okay? Jesus loves you, right? Can we agree on that? In fact, we've got this statement, it's really our mission around here, to love Jesus and to love people and to teach people to love Jesus. In that is a recognition of the fact that Jesus loves us, And then we move and we love Jesus and then we give and we share and and we bring that love to the people of the world. It's really talking about recognizing and being generous. So whether you believe in him, whether you're selfish, whether you're generous, Jesus loves you. In fact, Jesus loves you so much that before you even knew who he was, he gave you the gift of himself. He gave all of himself to the point of giving his life. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to be killed for your sins. And that's where we run into trouble. See, for a lot of us, that's just too much. We can't can't go there. Mentally, we can't even even take our minds there. And so we just fall back on a a little bit of selfishness because we tend to be selfish. We're selfish about our stuff and our money, our time. We're selfish about about the things that we have that we think are ours. And Jesus, he was selfless. Jesus gave everything he had, including his life. But to understand giving the way the Bible talks about it, we've got to understand giving the more, more the way Jesus does. And to do that, we've got to understand the love behind it in a Jesus-like way. And we need to get an honest grip on our attitudes about giving and why it is that we feel the way that we do. See, in churches like ours, you hear a phrase a lot, and the phrase is, give Jesus your heart. We we say that when we submit our will to his, we give Jesus our heart, right? We talk a lot about hearts. We talk about that because our hearts are very, very personal. And Jesus talked about hearts. He understood that. After all, our hearts, like our money, they're ours. They're ours to take care of and to care for and to look out, although people take, generally speaking, better care of their money than they do their hearts. But we talk a lot about hearts. While it beats and it's a muscle and it keeps us alive, we have an understanding of it. That's kind of where, where our emotions are rooted, where the things that we feel and value, it's in our hearts. And so we protect them. We're cautious with our hearts. We, we just don't open them up to everybody. So so do we really give our hearts to Jesus when we say that I give my heart to Jesus? Or is that our way of saying that I accept your free gift of salvation? Thank you. Because giving our heart to Jesus, that's a very different thing. 
If we do that, then what we're saying is that I want your will for my life more than my will. It's your will for me that matters because now you've got my heart. Not what I want, but what you want for me. It's his word that leads and guides and directs and informs us every moment of our lives if we truly give our hearts to him. His example, then, is the the example that we want our lives to follow. That's why we talk about being disciples of his, because we want to shape and live our lives like him. Professing our love for Jesus and giving him our heart is a very big deal. And Jesus understood that. So have you given Jesus your heart, or have you just accepted the free gift of salvation, or are you not even sure you're willing to do that yet? Who has your heart? Are you holding on to it and protecting it? Or have you truly given it to Jesus? See, we say we love Jesus, but we also say that we love people, right? We love people with all of our hearts. That's the phrase. I can't love you any more than that. I love you with all of my heart. When when that doesn't go well, we say that our hearts are broken when things get sad. When something is important, we say that, well, that's the heart of the matter. And and when we find a place that we're really comfortable, that, that we like to live, it feels good to us and we feel safe. We say, well, that, that's home and home is where the heart is. Or we say, she has a big heart. Or if you're from the, from the south, you say, bless your heart. Or if you're, you're not feeling so great, you say, my heart aches. And the list goes on and on and on. But the point is, we use our hearts to describe a lot of how we feel. You saw a video a little while ago of some people who went on a foreign mission trip. It's just a small number, like I said, but, but every one of those folks, and if you talk to, talk to anybody else here that's ever been on a mission trip to somewhere that, that isn't what they call home, I bet you they'd all say the same thing, and that is that they left a part of their heart behind when they had to leave. Because something interesting happens on a mission trip. You get taken out of what you know. You get taken out of what's comfortable. You get put around people that aren't like the folks that you're used to back home. But you realize that when God's there, there's a bond, there's a connection, and and you, you pretty quickly realize you're opening your heart to them. And we feel like we leave a part of our heart behind, and so often you hear people say, I would go back in a heartbeat. If you've uh, ever talked to somebody who's in international missions, they've got a phrase. The phrase when you're talking about speaking different languages is heart language. Heart language is the language that we grow up speaking. There are some folks in the world that speak two, three, four different national dialects. Maybe they speak nine or ten different languages. But your heart language, that's the language that your mother taught you. That's the language that you grew up speaking. That's the language that we most deeply experience life and emotions with. We call it the heart language. And the one thing that everyone says when they've gone on a mission trip, they they say the one thing is, I maybe couldn't speak the same language, but you know what? Those people gave me so much more than I brought. Maybe the heart languages are different, but you know the hearts are the same. And we go thinking we're going to do something for them. And yet what happens is because we go with a generous heart, we realize that what we're seeing is generosity all around us. And we take that as understanding that we've received more than we gave. So all the folks in that video, they gave, they went on the mission trips for a variety of reasons. They all gave different reasons why they went. But they were all obedient and they gave and they received so much more in return. That's why in Acts 20, Paul says, and he's recounting the words of Jesus here. 
He says how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give out of love and obedience, you understand the joy and the blessing of an obedient and a generous heart. When you go on a mission trip, all the things that, that are comfortable and normal to you are gone. And you rely on the generosity of the people who are there. And because you bring a generous heart, you experience generous hearts. I talked last week about the five love languages. What love languages really are is the language that your heart speaks. It's the language that you're able to hear and understand and feel love. The five love languages are also all about giving, or they're supposed to be. Ultimately, they're about how we can speak love to other people. They're meant for the recipient first and foremost, but so often what it is is the preferences and the needs and the wants and, and maybe the wounds of the one who's giving that end up taking center stage. And too often the love language that we've got the opportunity to speak into someone else's life is nothing more than filling in a need of our own lives. We might know the way to speak to somebody's heart, but instead of doing that, we expect them to speak into ours. And that's what happens with giving. If we don't truly have a generous heart towards giving, whatever it is that you might give, if you don't have a generous heart towards giving, you're always going to feel like you're not receiving enough. But if your heart is generous, then whatever you receive in return is just a multiplied blessing. That's where we run into trouble in the church, especially around the idea of giving money to church. But it's all the other things that we might give. The point is that whether it's giving, whether it's money or time or your talent or or whatever it is, we hold on to it because we think that we're giving ours. We we think that it's ours to give or ours to hold on to. And the point is, and, and over and over we read about this in the Bible, that it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of trusting God as the source and as our provider and, and that we're not going to run out. See, God invites us into this life of generosity where our trust is in him. And we show that we trust him by how we give of ourselves back to him, back to his church, back to his people, back to our community. It's a matter of the heart. Does my heart really believe that I'm going to run out? Or does my heart believe that God is always going to give me everything that I will ever need? So how about when we approach things like volunteering? You've only got so much time. How much volunteer time do you really want to give your church? How about giving of your finances to the church? Ah, churches always talk about needing money. They don't need my money. It's a condition of our heart. It's how we hear things, not necessarily even how things are said. And whether it's time or talent, volunteering or finances, there's three ways that we can approach it. And all of them, all three ways are a condition of our heart. At the end of the day, they speak to where our heart is at. See, we can be obedient followers of Jesus. We can do what the Bible says, and we can trust in God's provision. And out of gratitude, we can honor him in our worship by giving generously of our time, of our abilities, of our experiences, and and what the Bible calls the tithe. We can trust in him, and we can trust in him to tithe. Or we can put ourselves first. Our needs, our wants, maybe our fears, our fears of running out, maybe it's our selfishness, and, and we can give God a little bit of time and a little bit of finances and a little bit of love as an afterthought. And what we're really doing is we're giving God our leftovers. We're giving him what we don't really need and don't really value. We're, we're giving him the extras that we have. 
See, it's not giving God the very first. No, it's giving God out of our comfort, not out of grateful obedience. It's a way to give God a tip out of our abundance, to say, yeah, I realize that this all came from you, and so here you go, this should do, in recognition that he really deserves so much more. We can be tippers rather than tithers who truly trust in God. And we all understand right now Thanksgiving leftovers, right? I mean, you probably got refrigerators full of leftovers from Thanksgiving, turkey, potatoes, stuffing, mashed potatoes. But here's the deal. The leftovers, they're not the main event. If you actually dared to have cars in your driveway and invite people over on Thursday, and if you got away with it, Thanksgiving dinner is not about serving people leftovers. Thanksgiving dinner is the main event. It's what you plan for. It's what you shop for. It's what you prepare for. And it's the same thing as, as what we give to God. Are we giving him what we're planning and preparing and being ready for? Or do we give him whatever might be left over after we're full? You don't invite people over for Thanksgiving leftovers. You invite them for Thanksgiving meal. But then some of us are in a season where what we need to do is rest. We're in a season where, where we need to receive from our church family, where we need, we need to take some care from our church family. We need to receive more than we need to give in because whatever it is that might be going on in your world, you just don't have the energy. You don't have anything to give from. And if that's true of you, you need to know that this place, this church, the people that surround you, we're here for you. I'm glad you're here, and we want to know what we can do to help. Because there comes a season in our lives when, when, for most of us, we need the church to be there for us. And if we don't know, how can we help? So please, if there's something we can do, and you are in a place where you need to take something from us, it's why your family is here. What you don't want to do is to let that resting in that season become your life. You don't want to spend your life in the church as a spectator. And so where do you find yourself today? Where do you find yourself in this whole idea of giving of yourself? Are you a tither? Are you a tipper? Or are you in a season where you just need to be a taker? See, I've never in my life met a tither who was a complainer or who regretted tithing. I've met some people who have tithed faithfully to institutions that didn't use their money well, and they didn't regret the tithing because they knew it was the right thing. And I've met a lot of tippers who are never happy at church. The preaching isn't right. The music isn't right. The people isn't, aren't right. Something somebody said or did, just, there's always something that's wrong. They're never content with the church or their place in it. And, and, and every church has all three of those people. And it's part of the reason that we exist, is to be able to take care of each other. But all of them, no matter what season of your life you're in, our closeness to God, our connection to the church, our realization of God as our provider, or our concern that he isn't, define where we stand on that scale. See, here's one thing that I know for certain. God has given us the means as a church 
to carry out the work that he's called us into existence to accomplish. We have not taken on a project, a plan, a dream, or a vision that's too big to be able to carry out. God has called us to something that he has already prepared in advance for us to be able to have the people to support, the finances to support, the energy and the space to support. He created a plan for the church where we could all contribute to the cause, and it's called the tithe. And what's great about the tithe is that nobody has to pull more than their fair share. It's a percentage. It isn't a dollar amount. It isn't like everybody's got to get to this certain dollar amount. It's, it's all understood as a matter of what it is that we have, and we all have different amounts. It's a percentage. It's, it's 10%, and everyone contributes, like the verse says earlier, in the same measure to the work of the church without being stretched more than anyone else. But here's the thing. This COVID thing, this COVID thing has taken its toll on the church across the country. Ours included. You, you look around you. There's half as many people here as there was in February. Attendance in most churches around the country, and this is assuming they're meeting at all, because a lot of churches haven't even started meeting since March. Attendance is down 50% or more in churches because of COVID. There's some churches that, that for whatever their reasons are, haven't offered in-person worship. And our church is no exception to the effects that this pandemic has on people, because If you're here on Sunday mornings on a regular basis, you realize there's about half as many of us as there was 10 months ago. There's some people we haven't seen or heard from in months, and we miss you. We want to know how you're doing and what it is that we can help. If if you're in that season where you need us to serve you, please let us know so that we can. we got fewer volunteers doing the work uh, of uh, behind the scenes putting our services online. At the same time, we've got more people who are watching them. We've got fewer volunteers to help with our youth and to maintain our facilities, and yet our facilities and our youth, those programs are still growing. We're still reaching people. And our giving, oh my, our giving has been affected. Just like there's half as many people who are coming to worship, our giving is down by more than 50% since where it was in February. And yet through every single week of this COVID pandemic, we have had full worship services We have met in person when we've been allowed to meet in person, and we are doing our best to honor our governor's mandates. And when we've not been allowed to meet in person, we have worshipped online every other week. Our ministries to our students and kids are going full steam ahead. We're working hard and we're committed to being the open-door Christian church for you and with you. And you hear so much about, in, in the state and in the country, we're in this together. You know what? As, as the Christian church folks, we are in this together. Whether you're a tither, a tipper, or you are someone who has a need from your church, we're in this together. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where do you believe your treasure is? What's most important to you? What's the thing that you cover and hold on to and protect See, that's where your heart is, and where your heart is, that's where your generosity is directed, whether it's time or talent or money. And we know that God has placed in this church everyone we need, along with every hour, every talent, every gift, every skill, and every single dollar that we need to carry on and to accomplish what it is that he has called us to, if we're willing to trust him and be generous. Jesus talks in the New Testament about a widow 
who came and brought her offering. And, and he said, there's people walking around all the time and they're walking up to, to with their offering and there's rich people putting in all kinds of money. And everyone was supposed to be impressed with them. And this widow woman walks up and she puts in what we call two mites, two tiny, I was going to bring one and I forgot. They're, they're two widow's mites, two coins, not even worth a penny apiece. But they represented all that she had. That money that she put in was her next meal. And Jesus says she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything that she had. And, and the understanding is that she trusted God to take care of her. And in the difference in, in, in the size of the temple and the church, did those two mites make a bit of a difference? To the church, they really didn't. But to her, they made all the difference in the world. And that's what matters. Jesus said what she gave out of her poverty, she gave so much more than those who gave out of their abundance or their overflow or their leftovers. Tithers and tippers and takers. And God has given us everything and everyone that our church needs. And we have all of them and we do ministry and life together, all of us. So are we going to give ourselves generously back to God for the work that he's called us to in our communities? Because God's treasure is the heart and the soul of people. And that's who we've been called to reach. We haven't been called to, re- to do church just for us. We've been called to be the church for the world around us that doesn't know Jesus yet. So what are you going to choose to do? What, what are you going to choose to trust? What will you choose to give? See, God, he gave us his very best in Jesus. And Jesus died for us so that we might be saved. And surely for that gift, God deserves more than our leftovers. When Jesus told us to give of ourselves, it was really an invitation to know and to trust and experience God more deeply. When we don't rely on ourselves and we begin to rely on God, that's when we begin to see God for who he really is. It was an invitation to freedom in his love and care for us. It's an invitation to generosity. It's an invitation to know God in a very new and different way. Let's pray. God, thank you for the way that you've loved us in Jesus. Thank you for the way that you sent him to die for our sins, even while we were still sinners. Even if there's folks this morning who do not believe, Jesus still died to pay the price that their sins might be forgiven. And it's as simple as giving him our hearts. But what we do next, that's not a simple thing. That's a radical, life-changing thing. God, thank you that you have provided for all of us. We, we grew up in a world where we talk about we earned it, we deserve it, and I need it, and I want it. But as Christians, if we're really going to understand the Bible, if we're going to really understand your word to us, everything that we have is a gift to you, and we're stewards. We're caretakers. It's ours only for a time. God, help us to be generous. Generous with our love. Generous with sharing the good news of Jesus with people. Generous with our, our time, our attention, our talents, our skills, our abilities, and yes, even our money. God, help us to be people. Help us to be a church that is known for being generous because we recognize and understand how generous you have been to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Talking about giving of yourself, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to share our faith. And so just imagine if if you walked out of here and you took those words that we say so much here, love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus, if you actually realize that Jesus does love you and if you accept that love and return it back to him, If you say, then I'm going to love people as much as I can the way that Jesus loves me. And then you say, I'm I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to help people learn to love Jesus. 
That is giving of yourself in a way that changes eternity. And if we just did that one person at a time, literally out of this church, we would change the community that we live in for the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're here. 